Now it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Dawn Meredith, a therapist with Pacific Medical Center here in the Puget Sound area. As this pandemic continues and we grapple with ways to deal with it and our lives and try to juggle work and home, kids and school, and maybe lack of some of these, Dawn is here to address some key areas of concern, anxiety, insomnia, and alcohol use. Dawn Meredith, good morning. Thank you for joining us once again. It's always such a gift to have you with us. Oh, thank you, Kate. It's good to be here. So while we have certainly met a number of times in the past uh, years plus, uh, let's remind our listeners about the work that you do for PacMed. Yeah, I am a behavioral health therapist for Pacific Medical Center's And basically what I do is meet with people to help them uh, with things like anxiety and insomnia, among other things. And because there's so much that can really play into either one of those situations, right? Yes. And, And especially these days. Well, yes. And we're all seeing that, right? Um, I think we had a little break, we thought, and then um, uh, we're feeling it kind of coming back again. So, and that's been a little daunting for people, I think. And that is, that certainly can fit into either of those areas. That can cause the anxiety. That can cause those sleepless nights when we think that we're finally kind of understanding something and getting a foothold, and then all of a sudden it takes a sharp turn, and maybe we're kind of slipping downhill, that kind of thing, right? Right. Yeah, it can feel like a sharp turn, kind of like the rug's been pulled out from under us. Um, and the, the anxiety and the insomnia go hand in hand for people. You rarely have one without not having the other. It's interesting. And and to varying degrees, of course. Mm -hmm. And so what happens tied into this is people perhaps turn to the wrong kinds of things to find a solution, to calm the anxiety, to hopefully fall asleep. And one of those um, medications might well be alcohol. Yes, exactly. And that's what we're seeing spiking during COVID. We've, we've been in it long enough now that we're getting information back. And I'm most certainly seeing it in my office that people are uh, drinking more, especially women. We know that um, COVID um, is more negatively impacting women, Um, and especially the highest group is women with children under age 18. And, and of course, when we think about that, that makes sense. They're they're sometimes have lost their job and doing full-time schooling online, or they were trying to work and trying to take care of their kids. Um, handle their kids' stress, and everything just accumulated and got overwhelming. There was a lot of memes out there that we saw about this, like wine moms and, um, you know, a lot of joking about um, day drinking for them. And, um, 
and and a lot of that is just fun and us trying to uh, find humor out of this situation. But underneath that, there was um, a, a large increase in women drinking, and specifically, that was to curb their anxiety, and it has severely impacted sleep. And then what a vicious cycle that is. Yes, that's it. It is a vicious cycle that, you know, initially may not appear to be that. And then, uh, sadly, you know, given a little time and we've had that to look back on things, we see how it's perhaps really gotten to be a pattern. Yeah, it's, it does, it can sneak up on you, right? Like when you have one glass of wine with dinner, you might not notice how that affects your sleep. But I bet it does. Even one glass will affect your sleep. Now, it varies wildly per person. But if you are noticing you're not getting the quality or the duration of sleep that you want, that might be one area to look. Uh, one glass can, on average, lowers people's sleep by almost 10%. I think it's like 9.5 or something. And then as you increase those drinks, it um, increases the amount of what it affects your sleep up to when we're when we get up to four percent it's like 39 percent less of sleep and so then that lack of sleep has its own kind of anxiety that occurs or we have we don't have as much stamina or patience and oh that vicious cycle sets in again exactly and then people feel bad about themselves, you know, the whole thing. Um, also, then you start getting anxious about not sleeping. Mm. And when you're anxious about not sleeping, that is the perfect recipe for not being able to sleep well. And then you think, well, if I just have a drink, it will help me fall asleep, which very well may be true. It is a sedative. It will help people fall asleep. The problem is, after that, it has disrupted the way your REM sleep kicks in and is helpful. So you get less of the important type of sleep. You also wake up a bunch during the night. So your quality is down, even though it might have helped you fall asleep. But you get dependent on um, that because you're anxious that you won't be able to fall asleep. So really um, cutting back or just temporarily, if you're struggling with your sleep, just for three weeks say, okay, I'm going to um, do everything right around sleep and just see if you can get it back into a good rhythm you know then you know i'm not saying everyone has to be a teetotaler you can most certainly drink but after you 
stopped maybe for three weeks if you can, and you have a good bedtime routine, and you um, cut back on your caffeine just to earlier in the day, you know, all of these good habits. See, no napping, that one's hard for people who've not been able to sleep, but stay up to your regular bedtime, and then you'll probably sleep better that night. All these things, and then you get it really shored up. Then when you add something back in like um, a couple of drinks at dinner, you can really notice how it affects you. And then you can make an educated decision. You know, it's a, it's my, it's a birthday party I'm going to. I'm going to enjoy um, a beer. And you'll just know. Or, you know, it's a work day. I'm going to not do that because I know I want a good night's sleep. And with the effects of of alcohol, uh, women are more impacted by the effects of alcohol. I know this, the, our whole situation, has, as we said earlier, puts such a burden on women. So if they turn to maybe having some kind of fun, having their glass of wine, and maybe it becomes two glasses of wine and becomes more regular, is it affecting us as women differently than men are affected? Apparently very much so. And I have, there's a book called Quit Like a Woman. And she makes very compelling arguments that alcohol is much more detrimental to women. Now, it's pretty obvious in some ways, right? Like when we say one drink for a man that weighs 200 pounds compared to me at my five foot petite stature, right? Like there's going to be a big difference. Mm -hmm. Yes. And simply with that, that's the culture. You get a glass of wine at dinner and that's what you have. And that's the same glass of wine that the person sitting across from you is having. And so we have overall women are drinking a lot more than men with our body weight and mass and our ability to process it. You know, maybe if the world was invented by women drinking, maybe we would have, you know, maybe alcohol um, would be lower percentages and it'd be a bit sweeter for us and more bubbly or, you know, I don't know what, but maybe there'd be better options out there for us, <laughs> which brings up a a whole different thing, which is how alcohol now is really marketed well to women. And there are so many um, other kinds of drinks out there and, and women are really targeted to um, in the media to, and with advertising to drink more. So there has to be a real conscious attitude uh, about what is going on and and a self-awareness as to what's happening in in our own body, in our own life. Well, thank you for saying that because that's probably the key, right? It's very individualized. 
um, some women I've seen around sleep and when we get to talking about alcohol, they can notice that they can have, you know, a glass or two of wine, but it needs to make sure it's four hours before bedtime and it's okay. But then there's other women that absolutely can't have any because it really affects their sleep. And you just really don't know until you may, you, you probably have some sense of how it affects you, but doing this where you back off for three weeks and try to shore up your sleep and um, then pay attention uh, to how your sleep goes and to how your day goes to see how much alcohol has affected you, you really get a lot more information and you can work with your own personalized process of what you need. And that three-week period is really key. We're talking about 21 days, and there's something about really having, setting a pattern in a 21-day time frame, right? Right, because it takes a little while for your system to um, be able to, to get back to a healthy sleep, to get out of that grouchy mood, that you were having during the day. I mean, you're not going to develop all great good habits in three weeks. It takes much longer than that, unfortunately. But you're going to get a lot of information of what habit you might want to change, what you might want to start incorporating. And that really is a key part of all of this here. Uh, certainly some not-so-great habits have been created because of the duration of this pandemic that we've been in. Uh, and so we can see what's going on with our life. So this is great to, to do this self-analysis and, and take that three weeks to, to really see what's going on. So Taking that time, I, I would think that probably kind of having a journal to keep track of what's happening with us might be a good idea. Would you say, Don? That's a great idea. And if it's really sleep you're targeting, there are some really good tools that um, are specific to that that will talk about all the healthy and unhealthy habits that you can be logging. CB. P-I, Coach, is a free app that you can put on your phone. And, um, and if you're not using your phone, you can go online and look for CBTI Coach. And this will help you log all the things that we know affect your sleep. Again, it's very individualized. That's why it's really great to be logging it and looking at all of this stuff. Some people notice a huge difference if they exercise, if they don't. Some will not notice a difference. Again, you take that three weeks to really find out. I'd say over across the board, I'm not 
the only people that I would want to be napping, napping is really going to affect your ability to get some sleep at night. But if you're only getting three to five hours of sleep a night, then I want you to nap. I want you to practice being able to fall asleep and sleep, period. But anything over that, we don't want you to nap because getting consolidated sleep at night is the best for you. It's the best for your brain, and it's going to give you the most bang for your buck versus an if you do an hour, 15-minute cat nap during the day, it's going to impact how much quality of sleep you get at night. And we'd much rather you have that at night. Right. Because the other side of it, having the insomnia or just having inadequate sleep, it's not just grumpiness. There's There are so many other uh negative side effects that happen, um, the short temper for one thing too, right? Yes. I mean, unfortunately, I could give a huge laundry list of the negative impacts of sleep. And I really don't like doing that (laughs) because what I notice is it really makes people more anxious. Oh, dear. And they get more focused on I'm not sleeping and all that does is make you not sleep more so really temporarily when you turn to identifying I'm going to try to sleep better during this temporary time of focusing on this it doesn't matter if you sleep better or not all that matters is that you do as many of the things you can at once and do it for a consolidated amount of time, you know, like this three-week time, and get results and, and, and be taking, you know, notice of what is helping and what's not. It's super helpful to have, like, this app be your therapist and help you walk through or to be working with a therapist on it as well. Actually, let's take this moment to mention working with a therapist because if this is really perhaps triggering someone's idea that, you know, I really would like some additional professional support with this. Uh, At Pacific Medical Centers, which is where you work, there's yourself and there are others too, depending on the areas that we live in. So let's mention how people can reach out to you and others. Yeah, it's such a gift, right? To, To get someone who's a professional to support you around things like this. It's such a gift to get someone to help discuss if you need to step down on your alcohol, if you need help getting better sleep, if you need help managing your anxiety. Um, We all need help sometimes. And that's one of the key things that define us as humans. We really all need help at some point. And there's plenty of people who want to help and um, Pacific Medical Centers, we have a number of therapists. Also, um, there are 
a plethora of therapists in the area that are willing and able to help. There is a, um, I think the easiest way to search for one out, outside of like going to Pacific Medical Center or Kaiser or through your doctor would be to go to the Psychology Today. They have a search engine that is um, really easy and really nice, and you get to see people's faces, and you get to see their description. Psychology Today, and you can put in your zip code, what you're interested in. You can search by your insurance. Um, and keep looking. If you don't find someone, ask, ask around. Ask you know, and, and when you get three or four people that you might like, ask them what their experience is with helping people with anxiety. Ask them what their experience is working with uh, a person like you and see if you like them. We, we know that the number one thing that helps uh, a therapeutic relationship be successful you know, for you to go to a therapist, what's going to be the number one thing that's going to make it successful is if you like the person and the therapist likes you, you know, so we want a good fit. That's the number one thing. Well, that that is so critical because, yes, having that support when we have acknowledged that some kind of issue exists. Here we're talking about uh, insomnia. We're talking about perhaps uh, an alcohol issue going on. So having some support um, is great. And and I really love this technique of taking the three weeks uh, and, and tracking what's going on during that time. And pro- probably people might find, oh, goodness, I, I really need at least another week to just see what's going on because it, it, I didn't really fully commit or something like that. Do you find that, Dawn? Yeah. You know, it's really hard to to commit to all the things you need to do for three weeks. You know, a birthday party is going to come up. Um, your favorite TV show is going to come up and you're going to say, well, I can go to bed just a little bit late. But if you can just find that, you know, try to do it a week first then. And the other one I want to add in is that regular bedtime, an hour before it, you're not having any media. The, the lights from the blue screen, we know impede the melatonin and plus just the flashiness right an hour and just being able to relax an hour before bedtime you don't have any media you're reading a book an old-fashioned book you're um, doing sudoku you're doing coloring you're doing a puzzle I'd really prefer that you're not even like doing the dishes and such, right? Right. As we get closer to bedtime, we slow down. That's the natural way 
that it is. I mean, think about before we had light. We would have we'd have a candle and we would be sitting around the light doing some sewing or some whittling or, you know, whatever. And and it was darker, right? You can be a couple hours before bed. You make sure you start turning the lights down. You're starting to slow yourself down. And then you have a regular bedtime routine. You know, at 9, you get all the computers shut down. You're not looking at it anymore, and you're getting your book, and you're reading on the couch. This one's tough, but ideally you're not sitting in your bed unless you're sleeping. Unless it's bedtime, you're not in your bed. Some people have found that reading and then just nodding off while they're reading in bed works for them, great. But if you're one of these that can't fall asleep, then, and even if you're a type of person who wakes up a bunch during the night, it might be necessary to get you out of the bed and not read in bed, read on the couch. So you're having that really good nighttime routine where at like 9 o'clock, everything's starting to shut down. You're doing something relaxing on the couch. You, then, you know, 9.30 or whatever, you get in your jammies and you brush your teeth. And it's, it's the same regular schedule each night. The brain loves this. The brain is like, oh, yeah, this is because I'm getting ready to go to sleep. And it primes you. And then when you get in bed, you've, done, you've not been in the bed for anything else but sleep. And the brain goes, oh, I sleep in the bed, and it will sleep. Now, at first, if you're one of these people that have been tossing and turning and spending hours awake in the bed, the brain will say, oh, I wake up, and I toss and turn in bed. So you have to break the habit of that, which is very easy. It's a very simple solution, but it's um, it's a very simple solution, but it's very hard. Is you just get yourself out of the bed. So if you wake up in the middle of the night and you know you're not going to fall asleep, you're wide awake, and you don't fall asleep about ten, fifteen minutes, you go sit on the couch. You lay on the couch. You don't turn the TV on. You don't read a book even. You just lay down there. So you're, you're going to toss and turn just like you were in bed, but you're tossing and turning on the couch. So you're preserving the bed as only getting sleep in it. So the next time you get in it, the brain will start working with you on this, ah, all I do in bed is sleep. I can appreciate when you say it'll be hard because you have to get yourself out of there. But I love then the logic setting up this really good pattern for ourselves. Oh, the brain loves it. It that's why it it can get so wonky with sleep. Is it um it is following a pattern. Ah, I wake up for an hour in the middle of the night and I look at the clock. And I know exactly what time it is. It's 3 o'clock. See, I knew it. 
So you stop looking at the clock and we start building those good habits slowly. And one thing about then getting yourself out of the bed, you go lay down on the couch or in a recliner, if you fall asleep, I guess that's where you sleep, but you might um, wake up at some point, you should then take yourself to your bed? Exactly. You know, if you are, if you, if you, if you're like, oh, I'm falling asleep, okay, well, you can get up and get into the bed. Or you wake up and you're like, oh, I'm so tired. I know I'll sleep. Go back and get in your bed. Now, some people's association with the bed is so anxiety-filled that as soon as they walk back into the room and get close to their bed, their anxiety comes up again. Oh, I'm not going to sleep. And it takes a little while to break that. But that's just an old habit. And you can break that, I promise. And if it's that bad, it really helps to get some support. Well, this this has been such incredible insight on something that is so fundamental for us to really live a more peaceful life, especially in the midst of so much pandemonium around us, you know, whatever that each of us has our own kind of scenario or multi-scenario. So to have some of this fundamental aspect and to get a better insight, Dawn, it, it's just so incredible. It, it It's a great gift to us. Oh, thank you, Kate. Seriously, yeah. I think, uh, I mean, just listening to this has already put in some ideas in my head. So I, I trust that that's doing, providing some piece of information or multi-pieces for each and everyone listening. It's truly a, a great gift, Dawn. I, I so appreciate uh, your work and your taking time to kind of have really uh, demonstrated all of that, helped us to visualize what we need to do. Thank you, Kate. Thanks very much. It's such a pleasure to talk with you. Oh, and with you as well, you know, just uh, to be able to do things that are so helpful in our lives, uh, you have a way of managing to convey that. So again, many thanks and uh, really appreciate your taking time with us this morning. Great. Looking forward to the next time. Absolutely. (laughs) Okay. That brings us to the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Dawn Meredith and Sunday Morning Magazine with representatives for tobacco-free kids and for Truck Driver Appreciation Week. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate you sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I will get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast on our Warm 1069 webpage. Just click on the podcast tab, then either of the show names, and then look for the guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of being aware that we do have the power of choice in our life and can exercise it. Have a week of the same, and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9. Good morning.